Hey Life Canton, Roger here. The directors are so glad that you are with us, whether you're a brand new listener or returning. If you are brand new, I want to remind you like I do every week that this is a place where we believe that you belong. You belong to God, so you belong to our community. We want to get you plugged in, involved in what, what's going on around here. So be sure to fill out a Connect card on our Church Center app or online so that we can do that. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. You will enjoy the second week of our really interesting series that we're in. But for either new listeners or returning listeners, just want to remind you that God is up to so much in our community and wanted to provide you with an opportunity to participate in what he's doing via giving. Um, You can give via the uh, Church Center app or on our website. And thank you for those who do give generously and faithfully to the mission of this church, I would encourage you uh, to take uh, that opportunity to support what God is up to here. But like I said, you're in for a treat. We're in a series called What Now, which is all about uh, what the next step of faith is following the Easter experience. And this week, Pastor Jared's going to talk about new creation and old creation. You'll hear more about what that is and what forgiveness has to do with it. So give that a listen and I'll catch up with you in just a minute. have a seat. Welcome. How's everybody feeling today? Good. All right. That's a good start. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Life Canton. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and I would love for you to get connected, especially if you're a little bit newer here. Uh, Normally, we put a QR code on the screen so you can take out your phone and do that, Um, but the best way to get connected is actually coming up very soon in April 30. It's a Sunday during the 11 o'clock service. We're going to have something that we call Meet the Pastor. We're going to meet a couple of our staff members, one of our pastors, and just hear a little bit more about the church. But also, we want to hear your story, too. And and, uh, there will be several people there, so you can meet other people. We'll have some light refreshments. It's a good way to get connected. So I encourage you to sign up for that. You can do that on the church app, the Church Center app, or you can just check in with us out in the lobby before you leave here today. And we would love to connect with you. Uh, I need to make something known. I don't normally have the habit of wearing a Hawaiian shirt along with Franz, who also wore a Hawaiian shirt, along with Pastor John, who also wore... Like, we didn't email each other, okay? I just, I just need to make that known. I don't normally wear loud, expressive shirts like this. Um, but I actually have a reason why I chose this shirt. And that was, if you were here last week, I gave an Easter message. It was my first Easter message. And it was kind of like a, a different kind of Easter message. And I walked away away from that feeling like, man, that was maybe a little bit more complex, maybe a little bit heavy, maybe it was kind of like a Debbie Downer. And so I thought to make up for it, I'm going to wear a Hawaiian shirt because uh, that changes everything, right? That totally changes the dynamic. Or maybe not. So anyway, here we go. I am going to continue in our uh, new series, actually start a new series, talking about this idea of what now. Now, you might not even be able to see those words, what now, and that's kind of intentional, actually, as we found out after the fact, and that'll make sense in just a second. But if you were here last week, we celebrated Easter, and we can say, Happy Easter. We can say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is. And we're excited about that. We're excited about Easter, and yet we ask the question, well, what now? What now? Like, Jesus is risen, but like, I'm still dealing with all of this stuff in my life, so what do I do in the what now stage of this? Easter is risen. There's a, there's a clear vision of what God wants to do in all of creation and bring about new creation in us, but there's this waiting period. What now? 
How many of you, uh, during the height of the pandemic, when there was like that whole shelter in place time, do you remember that? We try to forget that. We try to put that out of our minds, right? How many of you did puzzles? Anybody do puzzles? Because you're just like, I don't know. We got to figure something out to do. We're stuck with these kids. Like I got to do something. We put a puzzle together. My family put a lot of puzzles together. Not this one specifically, because this one looks like a disaster. It's all of the emojis. Uh, But anyway, you take out a puzzle and you dump it out. And it's just, you know, it's chaos everywhere, right? You've got all of these puzzles, pieces, and you're just trying to think about, okay, where do I even begin? It feels like a big mess. It's a puzzle, right? But you've got the box to help you out. You've got the box that has the image on it, uh, so you can kind of see what the picture is supposed to look like. And so then you start to put your puzzle together, right? It tends to be how puzzles work. Here's the thing. I, I think about Easter, And I think it presents us with this picture of what this is all supposed to look like, of what what resurrection and new creation is one of the terms that we use to describe the resurrection of Jesus. What is that all supposed to look like? And yet, I look at the chaos of my life, a puzzle, and think, well, where do I even begin? What is my life with Jesus actually supposed to look like? And it just feels like a whole lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty. I'm not sure where to go from here. I'm not sure how to pick up the pieces of my life. Maybe I'm dealing with a failing marriage. Maybe I've lost my job. Maybe I failed a class in school. Maybe I lost a friend. And I'm not sure where to go from here. What do I do now? Life can feel like a little bit of a puzzle. And maybe you came in today and life feels like a giant mess. It's a chaotic, fearful uncertain mess. And yes, last week we could say, he is risen, he is risen indeed, but what do I do now? I want to talk about a story that happens right after Easter, what we call the new creation. But in order to get there, I first want to talk about a story in the old creation, the first creation. Sometimes scholars talk about this. We move from the old creation, or we move from creation to new creation in the resurrection of Jesus. I want to talk about the old creation first. And to do that, we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and just look at the very first chapter and the very first verses. I want to show you what we see here and begin to unpack this pattern that takes place from the creation to the new creation. First of all, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and the darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So this first part, the in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, maybe you grew up in church or didn't grow up in church, but a lot of people tend to know this verse, but we don't often talk about that very second verse, that when he created the earth, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. What is all of that about? That formlessness, emptiness, darkness, is, is a massive concept, and, and there's, um, there's a really nerdy phrase that they teach you in seminary. It's called ancient cosmology, you know, and that's how we talk about the Bible to understand this particular genre of literature, literature in the ancient world. And, and what uh, is agreed upon is not so much Genesis being concerned with or the creation story being concerned with how God creates or what God creates, but more so why God creates. 
So we don't need to have all of these debates about how do we talk about science? How do we talk about evolution? That's not what Genesis is trying to do. Genesis, specifically in chapters 1 and 2, is to declare why God is the way that he is. How he goes about ascribing function to the world. To the formlessness, the emptiness, the deep darkness that is in the world. There's chaos in the world. These words, formlessness, the emptiness, the darkness are what a lot of scholars, a lot of theologians refer to as chaos. It's much like a puzzle that is all over the place. Where do we even begin? And God takes the puzzle of creation of the earth and starts to put form and function to it and design all of the intricate parts and ascribe function to it. Order to the chaos. But then check out what he does. The spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, hovering over the deep, hovering over the chaos. We've talked about this before, that that word spirit is the Hebrew word ruach, which means breath. Think about this. God's breath hovers over the chaos. How does that feel? Right now, like I could just do a message just on that alone. Like you came in with some chaos. You came in with some puzzling aspects of your life. Maybe your life feels like it's falling apart in different areas. What if God's breath, what if God is breathing into the chaos of your life? I don't know if you noticed all of the songs that we sang were all about that intentional making space for God's spirit to move. Even now, in this moment, God is breathing into the midst of the chaos of your life. What might that breath be like? What might it feel like to you? As God breathes, what happens next? There's this moment just yesterday, actually, we had, we had a funeral for Nicole Stroyan Eccleston. And I said, even in the beginning, to just breathe. To just take all of the pain the confusion, the uncertainty, the chaos that we feel within ourselves and that causes us to tense up and we forget that God's spirit, God's presence is with us hovering over the chaos to just breathe. I would even ask you just now in this moment to just take one big, deep, collective breath. Remind ourselves that God is here in our midst. But not only does he stop with his breath, he begins to speak God speaks, and this is what God says in the beginning of creation. God said, and we think about what God's voice might sound like. We think it's like James Earl Jones, right? Like that's what his voice sounds like, or one of our friends here, uh, Byron Roberts. He's got this really deep, beautiful voice. It would really, uh, it would really be unfortunate if God sounded like Gilbert Gottfried. Like that would like turn the whole thing off just a little bit, right? And then God said, no, I'm not even going to try it. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So not only does God see the formlessness, the emptiness, the darkness, the puzzling chaos of our lives, and he breathes into it. He breathes order into the chaos, but then he speaks into it. And the very thing that he speaks is light. 
You may or may not know this, but there are other creation stories. There are other creation narratives out there. The Bible is not the only one that records an account of creation. There are other ancient books that describe how the world, how the universe came to be about. But the major difference is, is that in the other creation narratives, there's this understanding that there are all of these gods and they are very violent gods and they battle over different things. And out of these violent battles, things just kind of happen to fall in place. And that's how we get the elements of nature. The difference in the God of the Hebrews is that when God creates, he brings order and light. He starts with light, not with violence. And what do we know about light? Light reveals things. It shows us things. It clarifies things. It exposes things in the darkness. Think about this. Think about putting a puzzle piece uh, or a a whole puzzle together. Uh, How many of you have ever tried putting a puzzle together in complete darkness? You you know what? I'm just going to challenge myself. I'm just going to turn the lights off and see how it goes from there. Nobody's raising their hand, obviously, because you wouldn't be able to understand where the pieces are. I mean, you'd at best have to kind of feel like, I think this piece fits together, but then it's not going to come together. It's going to feel really chaotic. We need light. We need light to clarify. We need light to give us some semblance of where we're going. God speaks and light enters into the darkness. And when we have light, I mean, some of you a couple weeks ago, your power went out, our power went out. It's complete darkness. But the moment that light switch comes back on, the moment DTE gets out there and does their job, if there's any DNT employees, thank you very much for your work, um, that light comes on. And it's like, ah, this collective sigh of relief. There's peace. There's peace. So we get this movement happening in the creation narrative where there is chaos all around. Chaos can bring fear and confusion and uncertainty, but then God's spirit, his breath, as he breathes into uh, the existence of the formlessness, the emptiness, the darkness, he brings light as well. And that light brings peace when then that peace brings order to chaos. This is the first sort of pattern that we see in creation, but that pattern repeats itself throughout different narratives, throughout different stories in the Bible. Now, I want to do, what I want to do is I want to jump all the way to a story in the new creation. The reason we call it the new creation is God is now inserting himself in a new way, bringing about new life, a new creation, because Jesus is risen, and that is bringing about newness, but it's following some of the same patterns. I want to show you this story. It's in John chapter 20. If you have a Bible, you can join in there. If you don't, once again, it'll be on the screen. John chapter 20, verse 19 says this. That Sunday evening, so Sunday morning, is when Jesus rose from the dead. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Think about what's happening here. Think about the patterns that are being resembled in the first creation. Now Jesus enters into the new creation. And there's chaos There's fear. Why is there fear? Why are they locking the doors while they're afraid of the Jewish leaders? Why? What's going on? Well, uh, just a few days ago, uh, they had scattered. 
and they didn't want to be associated with Jesus. We even have one of the closest disciples, Peter, who denies even knowing Jesus. Why? Because in the Middle East area, what they would understand about these large groups of people that would grow, and maybe there would be an uprising, there would be some kind of a revolution, you cut off the head of that revolution. But if you cut off the head, another one's going to grow in its place. And the disciples know that about their culture. They know that there are probably Jewish leaders, there are probably Roman leaders looking for anybody who might have been associated with Jesus. Because yeah, you can cut off the head, but now you've got to cut them off at the knees. You can't let this movement, this revolution, this uprising continue to grow. So they are locking the doors and they are terrified. Because those Jewish leaders are coming to look for them. They are afraid. There is a giant puzzle of life. They are wondering what now, what is coming next? How do I put all of these pieces together? Jesus has died. I don't know where we go from here. What now? And in the midst of the chaos, Jesus enters. In the same way that God sort of enters into the creation narrative, he brings about peace. And Jesus does the exact same thing. Peace be with you. If you were here last week, I mentioned sometimes we have this idea that whenever Jesus showed up and entered into a room, he said, ta-da, and all the disciples went, well done, we're so glad you're here. They didn't do that. They were freaking out. They were terrified about what was going on. They were terrified even to see Jesus, and it's the whole reason he has to say peace. Why else does Jesus have to bring peace when he enters into the new creation? He says, peace be with you. And then he begins to say more. Check this next part out, verse 20. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. That's an interesting response. He shows them the wounds and they have joy. Like I wondered about this, like sometimes I trip and I fall on the stairs because I wear too big of well, I wear the right size shoes. I just have big feet, okay? That's, that's the reality. And I trip and I fall, and then my wife laughs at me. Anybody's spouses laugh at them when they get injured? Uh, that's the kind of relationship we have. There's too many hands going up. I'm really concerned about this. Is that what this is all about? Are they laughing at his wounds? No, no, no. His wounds bring them joy because they understand that he's not He's not a ghost. He's not some figment of their imagination. He's the real deal. He's the guy that was crucified just a few days ago, and now he is here with them in the flesh, and those wounds are a part of his story. Here's the thing that you need to understand is whatever chaos you came in with, whatever puzzle your life is right now, maybe they're causing some wounds, maybe you have caused some wounds, but guess what? They don't, I, they don't define who you are. Your wounds are not who you are. It's how you heal and how you get redeemed from those wounds. Your story is not over because of your wounds. Jesus wants to continue to do more in your wounds. That's what happens in the new creation. And that's why they are filled with joy because they know that the wounds are not the end of the story. There's more to come. There is joy as a response to seeing the wounds. Now, here's the thing. In the first creation... There's some wounding that takes place. And some of you know the story. After the creation happens, after humanity is brought into the light, after humanity is created, what happens is humanity gets deceived by the evil one. 
or the devil, Satan, whatever adjective you want to use, they get deceived and they get tricked into believing that they can be like God. Not only that, but they can be better than God. They can provide for themselves. They can know all the things that they need to know. They don't even need God anymore if they just do this one thing. They just have to eat a piece of fruit. That's all they have to do. And they do it. And as a result of them deciding for themselves that they can be their own gods, there is a giant, massive, eternal, in one sense, wound. And that wound in the first creation leads to death and despair for all of us. It leads to them to go into hiding. They go hide. A wound in the first creation leads to them hiding and being ashamed. But now Jesus redeems that. Jesus redeems the meaning of wounds and the purpose and the function of wounds. And the new creation, wounds lead to joy. Your story is not over. Your wounding is not who you are. God will do something with that wounding, and it may take some time. Be patient with God. Be patient for him to move. God is moving. And then Jesus begins to speak again, because what we do is maybe we see joy in the wounding. We see joy on Sunday, but then Monday morning comes, and we're right back to the chaos. We're right back to the puzzle. And so Jesus has to say once again, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He says that in verse 21. Peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What's that about? Sending you where? To do what? Why is there a sending that is happening here? Well, let's go back to the first creation. Can we find a pattern? Guess what? God sends humanity to do something as well. After they have made this mistake, after they have deceived themselves, decided that they can be their own gods, that they don't even need God anymore, they are on their own. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. It says that the Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. They're sent out. They're sent away from God's perfect presence and unity with them. God is still engaged in their story. Don't get me wrong, but there's a disconnect there now. Now, now life has become a little bit more chaotic, a little bit more of a puzzle because they don't have this perfect image of what God is all about. They don't have a perfect image of themselves anymore. And so now it's confusing. Now it's chaos. He sends them out. And they're alone. And he sends them out to cultivate the land. You know what's interesting about this? Is that when we think that we are better than God, then we don't realize that God is no longer our provider. If I don't need God anymore, that's on me. Now it's on me to provide for myself. Now it's on me to cultivate the ground. I have to create my own food. Okay, if you want to be God, well, then you too can become a creator. But it's all going to depend on you. You're going to create your own supplies and resources. You go out, you cultivate the land. And they're left alone in chaos and confusion once again. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, Jesus says, now in the new creation. 
The disciples would have known their scripture. They would have known this creation story. They would have seen these patterns all unfolding, the peace, God's spirit. Now what's happening? Now we're being sent out. Are we going to be sent out to be all alone as well? Check out what happens next. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? He breathed on them and said, essentially, receive my breath. I breathe on you, you receive that breath. And when you receive that breath, then you have the strength and the courage to go out to be sent out. Think about that. God's spirit is not only just here and present with us, but God's spirit is meant to be with you so that as you get sent out, that spirit goes with you so that you're not alone in the midst of your chaotic puzzle of your life. I don't know how many of you come to church on a Sunday, come to this specific building and feel like, okay, I've checked off a box. I kind of paid attention to a couple of things in the message. I maybe sang a song, probably the wrong note. Now I'm on my way. I got to go get out uh, the the stuff out of the oven. I've got to just move on to other things. And then Monday morning comes along and it's all back to chaos. What if instead this is actually a place, almost like a gas station or a hospital, where we come, we get refilled up with the presence of the Holy Spirit so that when you go out, you get to impact other people. You get to breathe on people too, and hopefully your breath smells good, right? Like you breathe on people, the presence of God's Spirit, and it brings order to the chaos of their lives as well. That's what torchbearing is all about. So when you come here, can you be expectant to be filled with, to receive the Spirit, to breathe in God's presence so that you're ready to be sent out? God is about to send them out through Jesus. Jesus sends them out to do what exactly? Well, let's go back to the first creation. What happens after Adam and Eve, after humanity is sent out. You know what happens? The very next recorded story is the very first recorded sin after Adam and Eve leave, after they are sent out. You know what that story is? It's a story of their sons, Cain and Abel. And what we find out about that story is that it is a jealousy-filled, rage-filled murder. A brother murders another brother. After the first creation, after they are sent out, chaos ensues, division ensues, fighting ensues, and murder takes place. What are these disciples in the new creation being sent out to do? Is it going to be the same? Are we being sent out? Are we going to participate? Are we going to kill our enemies? Yeah, we're going to take them down. We're going to make Israel great again. It's like, is that what it's going to be about? Are we going to take over? Let's check out what Jesus says. Verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Let me check. Let's just check to make sure that that's actually what he said. I don't... Man, couldn't couldn't he have said something else? I mean, this is the new creation. Like, this is the big stage here, right? Like, Jesus, you could have said a whole lot of things. 
to us in the new creation. You showed up. This is the moment. We're going to be, you know, heading out. We're going to be doing something new. We're going to start new churches. We're going to do all of this great stuff. And Jesus could have said, all right, guys, time to get together. Time to write to your congressman. It's time to uh, build up an army. It's time for you to get on the news and tell everybody that I am risen. It's time for you to do all of these big things. You've got to fill up churches. You've got to raise the offering. Nope, it doesn't say any of that. The first command in the new creation from Jesus to his disciples is to forgive. Man, that's not fun. That's not grand. That's not sexy. That's not the thing that's going to fill churches or increase offerings. That, that doesn't feel fun to me. I want to do the fun stuff, God. Because if we're going to redeem what took place in the old creation, whereas jealousy and anger and rage and murder, then what we're going to do in the new creation is we're going to heal relationships. We're going to forgive. We're going to say, I'm sorry. We're going to begin this ministry of reconciliation. That's what Jesus calls us to in the what now. When we look at the massive chaotic puzzle of our life, typically... What needs to take place is some kind of reconciliation, some kind of healing, relational healing. He is breathing on them his spirit, and he is sending them out to be reconciled. Some of you have some really hard relationships right now that you're dealing with. And to hear that the first Sunday after Easter feels like, ah, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. And some of you right now have a person in your mind that you're thinking about. Maybe reconciliation needs to take place. And that's the last thing you want to do. Maybe you think that you have hurt them so bad that there's no way that they could forgive you. Maybe you have been hurt yourself so bad and there's no possible way that you could forgive them. Reconciliation is not easy, but it is the very first thing that Jesus calls them to in the new creation. I think about the puzzles and how I put a puzzle together. Usually what I do to start is I look at this giant mess and I'm like, man, I don't even know where to begin. And so I look for the corner pieces and then I look for the edge pieces, right? How many of you do this too? Like this is the easiest way to get started is like, well, at least I can feel like I'm making some kind of progress, right? I'm making something happen here. So I put three pieces together, you know, uh, lunch. Uh, That was good. That was good. I'm moving on. But we put the frame together and that actually helps us begin somewhere. And then we can start to put the middle pieces all together. I think about it like this. That in the new creation, after Easter, yes, we have this image of what it's supposed to look like, but man, to get started seems really hard, and Jesus is calling me to something hard, but it's the first step. Forgiveness is kind of like the frame of the puzzle. All of this begins by healing relationships, by receiving and by extending 
forgiveness, putting that edge around so that we can start to fill in all of those other middle pieces. But I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that practically. How does that actually look practically? How do we begin to heal relationships? Now, some of you are like, well, it's easy. Just say, I'm sorry, or say, I forgive you. But here's the thing. We can say those things. We can speak those things, but the breath of God's spirit might not actually be behind it. And so what's going on in our hearts is actually more selfish than it is submissive. Spirit-breathed reconciliation involves submission. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what reconciliation is supposed to look like in the new creation. Well, let's talk about that. I'll give you some examples of apologies that I have given that have looked way more like selfish reconciliation than they have submissive. I've said, I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'm sorry if you feel that way. I'm sorry, but that wasn't my intention. I'm sorry, but I didn't know I was hurting you. Now, some of us, we're all looking at these like, let's just cover up this part. They're all saying, I'm sorry. Like, it's good. Those are all apologies. That's effective. You don't have to fix anything about that. But these are all conditional statements. I'm sorry if. I'm sorry, but. They're not really apologies. Those are all said to preserve our self, our ego, preserve our reputation. It's not actually taking ownership of the pain that you might have caused. And just, just to throw in a bonus, in case none of you have ever said this one before, I may or may not have said it uh, a number of different times. I'm sorry. I don't really know what I'm sorry for, but I guess I'll apologize anyway so I can get you off my back. That one, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that one. Um, doesn't always go over the best, okay? So just, just in case anybody else in the room may have said something like this one, doesn't reflect the submission out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so then what does submissive reconciliation look like? It's changing a small word. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I made you feel that way. I'm sorry that my words and actions didn't reflect my intentions. I'm sorry that I wasn't aware that I was hurting you. They take ownership. These are honest apologies. These are actually submissive apologies because they put you in a position lower than the other, than the one that you've hurt. These are really, really hard to say because what we have to do is we have to sacrifice our reputation. We have to sacrifice our ego, this shell that we put around ourselves. We change the words if and but to that. Well, the same is true of forgiveness. There is selfish forgiveness as well. They usually come with conditional statements. I forgive you if, no, no. I forgive you but, no, that's, that's not forgiveness. There's still a condition attached to it. Again, it's changing these words. It's I forgive you for, fill in the blank. This is hard, hard work to do. And yet this is the first thing in the new creation that Jesus calls his followers to do. If we're going to be of any kind of healthy church, 
It's got to start with that. It's going to take some time. It's going to be hard. But here's the reality. None of us can do this in our own power. None of us can bring order to the chaos in our own skills and abilities and talents. All of us, in order to move in this direction, need the presence of the Holy Spirit to do so. We need God's spirit, God's breath breathing over us to fill us, to renew us, to lead us, to have a clearer vision of what he wants for us in our own individual lives as well as those surrounding us. And it is hard, but it's not on you to do it in your own power. We were meeting earlier this week as a staff and we have a a couple interns that were joining us and we meet every Wednesday and we just pray. We pray about uh, all of you, some of the prayer requests that come through. Sometimes we pray about some other things. We pray just about, uh, this last week we we prayed, um, what do you sense God's saying to us? Where does God wanna take this church? And one of the things that John Smith, he's one of our interns, he said, I just feel like our church needs more of the Holy Spirit. More awareness of the Holy Spirit being able to see and understand and have light and clarity to understand how the puzzle pieces of our lives are coming together to imagine what God wants to do in the new creation in us and in our church. And so we got to be submitted to that. And here's the thing, there are other forces at work that are fighting against that. There is still a deceiver lying to you telling you that you don't need God to do that. There are forces at work that are trying to stop you from taking God's spirit, God's breath out into the community. In fact, here's the thing. I I recognize that there is a weirdness in saying what I'm about to say. I'm I'm a man that understands science. I respect science and logic and reason and mathematics. I understand all of that. But it's by no coincidence that this entire week, every single person in my family, except for me, got some form of strep. We went to the doctor four or five different times. We got medicine four or five different times. And it's just constant uh, forces fighting against. There is a spiritual force at work in our world, a darkness, principalities, powers in the dark world that are trying to fight against the move and the spirit and the breath of God moving in your life. And it's not going to stop because of the power of Jesus. Because of the risen power of Jesus. Somehow, I didn't get strep. (laughs) He doesn't want this message to take place, but God does. God wants his spirit to move in all of you. Are you willing to receive that same spirit? Are you willing to take that spirit out into your community, into your classrooms, into your neighborhoods? I want to invite you to stand if you are able. If you need to close your eyes, if you need to posture yourself in such a way to be submissive to the move of God, I want to invite you to take a risk today. Jesus says, if you ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, he will give it to you. He's like a good father 
who wants to give good gifts to his children. He wants to give you his spirit so that his spirit will fill you with joy and peace and patience and kindness, the ability to begin or to continue the ministry of reconciliation, to deal with the hate in your heart, to deal with the bitterness and the unforgiveness that is in your heart. God's spirit wants to be poured out on you. I want you to ask God to fill you with the Spirit. Maybe if you've never received that Spirit before, to ask God, to take a risk, to in faith say, God, would you fill me with what you want to do? To be refilled, to be renewed by the presence of His Spirit. I would ask even now, it might seem weird, it might seem uncomfortable, it might seem awkward to just say out loud, cry out to God a prayer in your own way. To say, God, I need you. God, I want your spirit to fill me so that I have peace and order in the midst of the chaos and the puzzle of my life. God, I don't know where to go from here. God, I'm, I, I realize and I believe in Easter, but what now? Where do you want to take me from here? Cry out to God. Pray a prayer in your own words. The Spirit of God is hovering over the chaos. Just continue to cry out to Him. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that that message and also that challenge to forgive. As tough as it can be, it's clearly an important piece of not only following uh, Christ, but the way that new creation plays out now that Christ has come. So uh, think about that this week. Also, if you need any kind of support, please reach out and let us know, again, via the Connect card so we can pray for you, support you in whatever way that you need. Uh, we don't want you going through life alone. Like I said earlier, you belong and we want you to be supported by this community. So let us know. Uh, But have a blessed week. I hope that you have opportunities this week to forgive uh, and to be forgiven. And we will see you again real soon.